to talk about the relationship between um, on and offline activism in um, grassroots food activist groups who've used um, the distribution of food in public space as a kind of tactic um, to highlight, I suppose, a number of social and political issues, mainly associated with uh, fast food. And then to sort of situate this work conceptually, it really kind of falls between a sort of body of work that's recently tried to engage with um, both social movement studies on the one hand and media theory on the other, kind of draw those two things together. Um, and also kind of, as I said, recently turned to um, STS and uh, new materialism to try and think a little bit more about the role of technology in all of this. And even though technology has been talked about extensively in the past, I think drawing on these new, or not new conceptual tools, but this body of work turning to these conceptual tools has been quite useful in um, drawing attention to some of the tensions that these groups have to negotiate when um, using technology in activism. Okay. So the broad framing, and actually obviously this relates to the last talk that mentioned media ecologies quite a lot. Um, I want to firstly situate the work of these groups in relation to um, ideas about media ecologies. Um, and I know this concept has had slightly different meanings and slightly different disciplinary contexts. So this is the one that I'm really working with, um, Emiliano Truere's definition, where he kind of tries to translate the idea to the study of social movements, essentially. And in kind of relating this idea to social movements, he tries to push towards two things. Firstly, as referred to in the previous talk, it's trying to sort of um, suggest that we shouldn't necessarily focus on particular platforms in isolation when we're analysing how social movements use digital media and we should instead try and think about the relationship between different types of media platforms engaged in by these movements how the, for instance, email lists and um, paper pamphlets um, social media and activist websites work together in the communication strategies of these groups the second thing um, it pushes towards is really um, something that Tanya talked about earlier in the talk was trying to move beyond thinking about how, say, technology determines activism or how um, activist practice shapes technology and think about the kind of co-constitutive relationship between these two things. And I know these might not seem necessarily novel insights for, say, um, starts and technology studies, but within that kind of social movement, media theory literature, I think they've really gained traction more recently. Um, particularly in relation to thinking through a series of more political questions um, related to how groups can engage in what Pollyanna Ruse describes as polyvocal protest. And what she means by this is the kind of messy and sometimes quite difficult task <coughs> of moving beyond a focus on kind of single political issues to try and think how you can develop a politics that articulates the relations between lots of different political issues. So how, for instance, does, say, um, a politics to do with labour relations relate to animal rights, relate to um, know, environmental concerns? And yes, you can kind of write quite extensively about those interconnections, but can you translate them and make them meaningful to diverse publics? And that's the concern that Ruiz talks about, and it's also what the groups I'm focusing on are interested in. Um, so I'm really focusing on vegan campaigning that took place in the city of Nottingham from 2005 onwards, in which food distribution was used as a tool. 
And I want to sort of start off by talking about uh, this group here, Veggie's Catering Campaign. Because this type of campaigning kind of grew out of the work of these mo- this <coughs> particular movement. Now, veggies have had quite a long-standing role within um, the anti-capitalist community in the UK. They've, um, I suppose they've really seen as the field kitchen of the British activist community in the sense that they always supply food at demonstrations, protest marches, etc. And they've also offered um, more, I suppose, semi-permanent infrastructures and provided catering at things like convergence sites, protest camps. So quite an understated role, in a sense, but I think nonetheless important in the anti-capitalist community. Veggies, however, have have also had a role in a slightly more um, high-profile campaign, which is associated with the work of these people here, um, Helen Steele and Dave Morris. And I know some people might be aware of this campaign already, but I will give a gloss just in case uh, not everybody is. Um, Steele and Morris are better known as the McLeibel 2, and were at the centre of um, the longest trial in British legal history when they were sued for distributing a pamphlet that was critical of McDonald's. Okay. They were issued libel writs in 1990, and um, basically this is a five-page fact sheet that tried to pull together a lot of separate concerns that different activist groups had um, well, criticisms have been made about McDonald's from environmental destruction to littering to targeting advertising at children. So a number of different criticisms were brought together by this pamphlet. It's exactly the sort of polyvocal protest that Pollyanna Roos was talking about. Um, and obviously they had a lot of things to defend themselves against when McDonald's sued them for their role in distributing this. Um, where veggies came into this was that they had a, their own What's Wrong With McDonald's pamphlet that preceded, but kind of went on to supersede the five-page fact sheet that was at the centre of the trial. Obviously, it's much smaller, it's much more succinct. It did the same job and tried to draw together the same issues, um, but it was essentially used to kind of sustain the campaign in the wake of the trial. Um, the campaign was seen as, or well, certainly McDonald's choice to sue was seen as a bit of an own goal because it kind of strengthened people's resolve to make public this critical counter-narrative about the corporation. And the idea was McDonald's shouldn't be able to shut down freedom of speech, let's continue to distribute these pamphlets. And to date, kind of tens of thousands of the What's Wrong With McDonald's pamphlets have been distributed, um, both in person and online. <coughs> One of the other things that um, this campaign is really well known for, and by this I mean the broader campaign, is it's often talked about in sort of more historical terms as a really early example of um, the internet's potential for activist groups. So the McSpotlight website was launched in 1997, um, and it was before McDonald's had got their own sustained web presence. So it was kind of a real moment where certainly in a lot of media studies contexts, the internet was kind of being cited as having this capacity for activists to disseminate critical counter-narratives that couldn't um, appear in the mass media. In, this was often very represented as a David and Goliath battle, and digital media was seen as you know, coming to the aid of the sort of Davids in this situation. Um, Spotlight wasn't the only tool that was used, though. Um, other sort of activist websites, alternative participatory media sites like Indie Media, were also used very regularly um, to kind of mobilise people behind different protests. Um, this is a day of action in Nottingham, for instance. 
and the local indie media site was used to kind of encourage people to attend and then to document the protest events afterwards. Notably, however, it was also used to um, get around libel laws, okay, to try and prevent the thing that had happened to Steele and Morris from happening again. So there were mirrors of the Spotlight website in lots of different countries to sort of ensure that any one um, set of laws couldn't be used to shut it down. And it was also intended to provide a platform for people in different global contexts to kind of contribute to this narrative with things like, you know, web forums dedicated specifically to McDonald's workers and that sort of thing. Crucially, though, as well as having what Back and Stark would call quite a sort of deterritorialized approach to try to bring different people in different global contexts together to contribute to this uh, counter-narrative, it also provided the tools to kind of re-territorialize the campaign in local contexts. So the What's Wrong with McDonald's pamphlet is available on the spotlight in multiple languages to allow people to conduct their own grassroots campaigns in their particular areas. But things have moved on. Um, and I'm going to talk about the role of food recent, um, the role of food in more depth shortly. But the kind of point I want to make is food from about 2005, 2006 started to be used in anti-McDonald's campaigning in the kind of local groups that I'm interested in, in part because of shifts in the broader media ecologies that these movements were working within. And I'm going to talk a bit about those shifts before discussing the role of food in all of this more specifically. So this is just a screenshot of um, a page on Veggie's website about the free food giveaways. And what it's trying to, what I've, why I've included it is in a very kind of crude and obvious way. It shows a couple of key changes that have happened in terms of activist use of media or different online media platforms in recent years. The first is obviously the Twitter feed, um, which sort of points to this increased role of social media um, in the work of activist groups. And although social media has kind of been noted, it's got this quite contentious role associated with neoliberalisation, etc. And thinkers such as Jodie Dean, for instance, have sort of labelled all um, digital media as part of communicative capitalism and sort of suggested that it effectively undermines dissent or commodifies dissent in particular ways. Yet, nonetheless, I know a lot of media theorists, particularly theorists who do work in social movements, have also pointed to the capacity of activists to kind of domesticate technologies, to turn them to their own ends, despite these structural issues. So um, Veronica Barasse and Emiliano Triere, for instance, have looked at this process of domestication in the work of Italian student movements. Um, Anastasia Cavada has done the same in, in relation to Occupy and looked at, um, as well as the kind of identity work that's engaged in um, by, uh, that's engaged in by these movements using social media. Another aspect of um, occupied social media use that she discusses is this capacity for social media to perhaps reach places that things such as um, more conventional activist media platforms might not. McSpotlight, you know, it had a huge number of hits when it was first um, launched. It even appeared in the mass media, you know, um, because it was, you know, First, you know, not very many websites focus on these kind of capitalist themes or existed, or you know, very high profile at that particular historical moment. Today, though, you know, people aren't necessarily going to access that website 
unless they're kind of already in the know in some way. And social media has been seen as a way of perhaps connecting audiences who are beyond the immediate activist community, although there's been a lot of debate about this. And on that note about the role of activist media and perhaps the sort of shifting role, I just wanted to point attention to one other thing. Here it's mentioned free food giveaway reports on indie media. And earlier I mentioned, obviously, that indie media was originally used um, to mobilise people behind campaigns, as well as to document campaigns. Um, I've done quite a bit of research about indie media, and one of the things I've noted is that over time there's been a really steep decline in the number of active indie media centres. Many are still there, but people aren't really using them anymore, certainly not using them to post new stories. What they are being used for, as indicated here though, are almost online archives of past protest events. They still have a role, therefore, in the kind of broader media ecologies of these movements, but that role's very much shifted over time. And what I suggest is perhaps new strategies have emerged in order to kind of deal with some of these shifts. The final strategy, or the final tactic, I really, or the final, sorry, the final shift, or to talk about before moving on to the food itself, is um, kind of changes activists have to deal with in terms of McDonald's own advertising and marketing strategy shifting. So, so what's wrong with McDonald's pamphlet itself, because of McDonald's changing tactics, ended up becoming more of a symbol of resistance, a symbol, a sort of historical memento of kind of past activist success, and less, um, I suppose, responsive to the current political climate. And that was because certainly in the UK, McDonald's has put a huge amount of time and effort into kind of branding itself as having this kind of local focus, using meat from local farms. It sort of tries to brand itself in a more kind of green manner. So having a pamphlet that just, I suppose, has got quite a strident anti-capitalist framing to it didn't seem to be reflected. It, it may well be reflected, say, the truth of McDonald's today. But members of the public weren't necessarily making connections between what they saw in the pamphlet and the actual reality of how McDonald's was presenting itself. And this was responded to in various ways, most notably through the production of a new McGreenwash pamphlet. Um, but, I don't know, it didn't necessarily... It had its limitations, and that's where the role of food kind of comes in. So here are some examples of the types of food giveaways that I'm talking about. They took place in different sites across um, Nottingham City Centre, and essentially involved um, the distribution of food in public space. Um, I'm going to talk about the sort of disruptive role of this shortly, but here's just a sort of snapshot of the types of events that I'm talking about. Again, it's quite performative. Often people cooked veggie burgers, gave out soya milkshakes outside McDonald's to kind of make direct comparisons with um, food being consumed inside the restaurant and things happening outside. There's also a kind of challenge to the um, commodification of public space that was a big problem in Nottingham at the time, and they kind of actually prevented um, local groups from running alternative food festivals in council buildings because of wear and tear. Um, and then they found that commercial providers were still using these buildings. So there's a lot of debate over that, and these giveaways were more were part, in part saying, when we want to kind of take back our city and use it to promote local food, etc., um, in, in the face of being kind of pushed out. So I wanted to try and think about what could be gained 
from relating this food to some of the theoretical debates that I touched on at the beginning that was trying to use ideas from um, STS and new materialism in particular to think about um, activist media practices. And in particular, I'm interested in um, Anna Fagenbaum's work, both individually and with Fabian Frenzel and Patrick McCurdy. And what this work does is try to kind of expand the definition of uh, media, certainly as it's used within more social movement studies contexts, to accommodate things that aren't conventionally thought of as media. So they look at protest camps, for instance, and the communicative power of things like tents, barriers, you know, things that maybe aren't media in sort of general sense, but still work to communicate a particular oppositional message. And what I was interested in was, even though for me these kind of this seemed very, you know, a very sensible idea, very helpful. Um, when I saw this work presented on a, in a different context, there was a lot of debate about it. You know, people from social movement studies in particular were saying, "Well, do we lose something politically if we expand the definition of media in this way? Shouldn't our focus much be much more on, um, you know, conventional understanding of alternative media?" And I suppose this is my kind of repost to that, because I think a lot can be gained from trying to think politically about how you can, I don't know, understand things that aren't obviously media as media. The first thing I think that can be gained is that it allows you to think of the kind of attributes of um, objects such as food in specific contexts in terms of what they're communicating. Here are a few things that I think food was communicating in these giveaways. Firstly, it was a sort of polyvocal tool I've been talking about. It tried to bring issues together, in this case between the commercialisation of the public space and issues raised in the protest literature that the activists were handing out at the same time. It was disruptive. It disrupted commercial rhythms. It actively intervened in consumer behaviour, maybe going into McDonald's or you know, going around the town centre. But at the same time, it um, created spaces for relationships between consumers and activists. You know, the space was created for dialogue with people who wouldn't go and look at them at the Spotlight website, who wouldn't follow veggies on Twitter or anything like that. So it you know, created room for this. And it was also prefigurative. Um, these types of activist groups have been seen as engaging in prefigurative politics, trying to kind of create relations in the present that reflect the world they kind of want to live in. And by trying to think about how they could produce and distribute food in alternative ways and then perform that in the city centre, it kind of did have this oppositional meaning. But, and this is the crucial thing from a sort of media ecology perspective, all of these relation all of these kind of affordances of food were very much relational. They were contingent on the kind of broader relations between different media in activist media ecology. Eating um, a veggie burger outside McDonald's, for instance, you know, in this public space, in this oppositional way, carries with it very different meaning to consuming the same product in the restaurant itself. And why I think this is kind of politically quite helpful is that it points to the sort of care and attention that needs to be paid to, um, I don't know, different media, including things like food, within broader media ecology. How can you tease out oppositional meanings? How can you ensure that these oppositional meanings persist? rather than, I suppose, more I suppose, neoliberal ideas about consumer responsibility. The power of food in this context, I felt, was trying to connect 
individual acts of consumption to much broader critiques. It wasn't just about saying, oh, individual consumer behaviour needs to change, you shouldn't go to McDonald's. It was trying to sort of link things up and make this kind of polyvocal protest that showed how McDonald's drew together all sorts of different social and political issues. And I think Food's role in this context helped draw attention to those broader structural problems the activists are trying to identify. And I suppose it really needs to be thought about how it can maintain that oppositional role. And thinking about food's role as media within a broader ecology can sort of perhaps draw attention to that um, in interesting ways. 